Do you want to know who's the hottest president? Doesn't make you glow to learn sick cabello. reward you will earn if you spend some time with us we all dress like your dad and wear glasses we assure you it's not that bad with three dudes wearing glasses my name is Gus, and I'm wearing a button-down and corduroys. My name is Mitchell, and I'm wearing a gray sweatshirt with some mushrooms on it. My name's Evan, and I'm wearing a black sweater. And we are three dudes wearing plaid. Every week on this show, we learn something brand new. The only catch is we have no idea what we're going to be learning about yet. It is Thursday morning. No, it's no, not I'm Thursday. No, I'm an idiot. I can't keep track of the days. How are you guys? I'm all right. There's some, there be some varmints up in my ceiling. That are scratching away at my sleep. Oh no. And I'm upsetty about that. Jerks. It's the squirrels, right? There was there was a flying squirrel up there who we got caught in a trap, and it's one of those like just little cage ones that is one way. We thought he was dead, but he wasn't, and so we were like, oh well now what do we do? And we thought that was it, and then there was nothing for a while, but then last night I was hearing these weird little scritching sounds. And then my cat was staring directly at one corner of the ceiling, and he just looked over his shoulder at me, and I was like, that's a vibe. And I get it, man. It's cold out there, kind of, although it's been weirdly warm. But still, don't live in my ceiling. It's the worst place to live. Well, damn, there go my winter plans. <laughs> Those, the, like, one-way cages, I feel like I've not had a good track record with them. Which sounds like I got stuck in one, but that's not what I mean. <laughs> um, we have... Uh, an outdoor cat. She's not really ours. She's just sort of around because we feed all of the random stray cats. Um, and for a while, she was just continually having babies in our yard. So we kept having to take care of a bunch of kittens. And we were like, okay, let's try and get her spayed. So we put out like one of those big cages that, you know, s something walks in, it like trips the the latch and then it closes mm -hmm. behind them. And, you know, we baited it with an entire can of tuna. And she walked in, stepped directly on the latch. It did not trigger. She ate all of the tuna. She walked right back out, stepped directly on the latch again. It didn't trigger. We tested it after and it was working fine. She was just too small. What a legend. Anyway, we still have her and she's still not spayed. Her name is Coco. A wonderful story. Thank you. I feel like I tell like a bullshit story that goes nowhere on every episode and I didn't want to stop now. It goes somewhere. It warms our hearts and, and gives us reason to look onward. And isn't that the point of a story? Holy shit, we're getting deep today. Yes, we are we are both existential and supportive. Oh. <laughs> we're what those those post-war French people could never be, both freaked out about the world but also loving of each other. They probably loved each other. They probably loved each other. They were French post-war. There wasn't much else to do. <laughs> Not to knock the French, like I mean, you think about a typical day in 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 1948 
or whatever. Not much left to do. I'll be honest, I don't have any idea what a typical day in 1948 was like. It could have been anything. I think it depends on where you were in the world in 1948. Oh, certainly. I think that's true even now. Yeah, I think you're right. It's almost like there's different places with different things going on in them. Evan, you are, you are a fountain of wisdom. No, that's my job, pointing out the very esoteric facts about this here life we live. Should you should get like a like a booth? Like down by the down by the pier, and it's it's like the uh, that weird like like Zoltar booth. Oh yeah, like one of those like weird uh, automaton fortune tellers. Oh, yeah. But it's just Evan, and he has little slips. Of, he has little slips of paper, and some of the phrases are like deeply personally meaningful, and some of them are are observations that don't seem to have as much meaning. But because they were next to the ones that were so deep, like perhaps there's some sort of through line there but he just says he just he writes out little things not to undermine any of your skills or knowledge evan so in this scenario evan is just like a living fortune cookie well listen small slips of paper with meaningful stuff and also less meaningful stuff that just seems meaningful because it came out of a fortune cookie i'd be a good fortune cookie you would also gus both of you to assume that fortune cookies are not alive i guess that's fair <laughs> Um, I sure didn't think they were, but I could be wrong. I save all the, like, crazy fortunes I get from fortune cookies. Some of them seem just like they're possibly poorly translated, but some of them are intentionally super weird. Mm -hmm. My favorite one, and I kid you not, I have this up on my bulletin board and I'm staring at it right now, says, wow, a secret message from your teeth. (laughs) Oh my. I've tried to logic it out. I think what it means is like you bite down on the fortune cookie and then you're like, whoa, there's a fortune in here. So it's a secret message from the area where your teeth are. But it really does sound like your teeth have something to tell you. So who writes all of the fortunes that the fortune cookies have in them? Well, Evan, it's funny you should ask because I was already uh, looking at that. (laughs) It's almost like when we do a show. Listen. (laughs) Uh, evidently, okay, the answer may not be as simple as one might think, because for a long time, according to this Mental Floss article, it was a man called, the Mental Floss article called, who writes the messages in fortune cookies from 2013, it was a man named Donald Lau who worked for for Wonton Food Incorporated, which is the world's largest manufacturer of fortune cookies and fortune cookie messages, but here I'm also finding headlines saying that he quit over writer's block in 2017, and now there's a new guy? Yes, I'm looking at a Money.com article, which is the source I go to for everything. And according to Lau, this is a quote that he told to Time, uh, I used to write 100 a year, but I've only written two or three a month over the past year, which would come out to, you know, about 24 to 36 fortunes in a year. So... You know, a two-thirds to three-quarters decrease in how many fortunes he was writing. Which, you know, if you've been writing fortunes your whole life, you're gonna run out at some point. But the trend in the types of sayings he wrote has changed. In the 80s, when he first landed the role, uh, cookie fortunes were, like, you know, fortuitous. 
like a dream you have will come true. Aww. But today, he says, the premium is on new inspirational sayings that promote yogi teabag style <laughs> well-being. Wow. The pressure has led Lau to hand his soothsaying responsibilities to another employee, James Wong, a nephew of the company's founder. So the answer is James Wong. Interesting. The, yeah, the answer is presently James Wong. Although maybe there's other like rogue, like freelance fortune cookie writers because this is the largest company but there must be other companies surely like it can't all be wonton company fortune cookies <laughs> it's wonton all the way up <laughs> i mean i suspect the wonton company is probably a lot of it in the united states it's probably like zippers where it's almost all ykk also i'm sorry just if you google who writes fortune cookies one of the people also ask questions on google is are fortune cookies real <laughs> Are they are they extant? I think we can confidently say yes. I think yes, we can we can answer that. That is three three dudes wearing plaid solved. Fortune cookies exist. James Wong seems to have a pretty upbeat attitude about the thing, which is good, I guess, if if you have someone who was kind of despairing because he was running out of ideas. In this CBC uh, news interview with him. February of 2017, CBC Radio rather, he says, so that he's asked about the process and he says, it's definitely a lot of fun. I enjoy every moment of it. And on writing Fortune Cookies, which I, you know, I come to CBC for my hard hitting radio about the uh, creative process for things like <laughs> Fortune Cookies. In addition to trying to connect to the audience, the other key to a good fortune is not to offend. There are many things we have to pay attention to, especially in the current political environment. There are a lot of sensitivities we need to be aware of. Apparently, each fortune goes through a vetting committee, in quotes, before it ever makes it to print. And he tells this anecdote about a, mid a middle-aged couple having dinner uh, before the man was supposed to go off to a business trip. And the fortune that he received was, romance is in the air for your next trip. Oh, no. That was definitely not a good thing, Wong says. <laughs> yeah, did you read the the part below that where the couple eventually divorced and wonton food got a call from the woman's lawyer oh apparently God. they were already having trouble with their marriage and the wife blames everything that went wrong in their marriage on us oh no it's a bit excessive i don't i don't necessarily want to stand up for a huge multi multinational corporation but what corporations generally bad probably not at fault for that couple's divorce oh uh the the wikipedia article for fortune cookie has a delightful opening sentence which i would like to read for you guys right. please do a fortune cookie is a crisp and sugary cookie usually made from flour sugar vanilla and sesame seed oil with a piece of paper inside a fortune on which is an aphorism or a vague prophecy <laughs> So, I am looking right now at a 538 article about fortune cookie numbers. Yes! And they sampled a bunch of fortune cookies. They bought like a thousand and opened them up. And in particular, they paid attention to the lucky numbers. And through their statistical analysis, they found that if you use lucky numbers from a fortune cookie, you are more likely to win in Powerball than if you use just random numbers. Huh. It could be complete coincidence, but the lucky numbers were significantly more likely. So they didn't figure out why. Yeah. There is a theory, as proposed in this article, that the lucky numbers were added to the fortune cookies after the Powerball wins. Or, and I quote, according to Occam's Razor, play several thousand lotteries with several thousand combinations and you'll hit a winner eventually. Were there always uh, lucky numbers on fortune cookies, though? 
I don't know. I'm looking at still the Wikipedia article with the origins of fortune cookies. And it seems as though not necessarily because, I mean, some fortune cookies today still don't necessarily include a list of lucky numbers. But um, the fortune cookie or something like it was being made in Japan as far back as the 19th century. And according to Wikipedia, the Japanese version of the cookie differs in several ways. They're a little bit larger. They're made of darker dough with sesame and miso. And the fortune was wedged into the bend of the cookie rather than placed inside. It seems as though they just had fortunes on them rather than, you know, lucky numbers and learn Chinese or learn Japanese. But multiple people have claimed to be the first person to have introduced the modern version of the fortune cookie to the United States. Oh, of course. Which basically means we have no idea. But the thing is, at least three distinct people have made competing claims that it was them. But let's figure out who it really was. Let's get to the bottom of this. Are we going to solve a a historical mystery? We are a hard-hitting investigative podcast. Mm, mm Mm-hmm. The three people mentioned on Wikipedia as claiming that they were the first to introduce the modern fortune cookie to the United States are Makoto Hagiwara of Golden Gate Park's Japanese Tea Garden in San Francisco, David Jung, founder of the Hong Kong Noodle Company in LA, and Seiichi Kito, the founder of Fugetsu Do in Los Angeles. They all seem to claim that they invented or introduced the modern version in the early 1900s. Makoto Hagiwara is reported to have been the first person in the U.S. to serve the modern version when he did so at the Tea Garden in the 1890s or early 1900s. David Jung claims he invented the cookie in 1918. That seems less likely. Yeah. Yes. Oh, yeah. And actually, a federal judge of the Court of Historical Review determined that the cookie originated with Makoto Hagiwara, and the court ruled in favor of San Francisco. Then the city of Los Angeles condemned the decision because they wanted to be the city that uh, (laughs) (laughs) invented it. And then Seiichi Kito then claimed to have invented the cookie. And according to his story, he sold the cookies to Chinese restaurants where they were greeted with much enthusiasm in both the Los Angeles and San Francisco areas. Thus, Kito's main claim is that he is responsible for the cookie being so strongly associated with Chinese restaurants. So it seems like actually that wasn't that hard to solve, and it's Makoto Hagiwara. <laughs> Indeed, although there is a a lovely New York Times article that I unfortunately do not have time to read uh, called The Fortune Cookie's Origin, Solving a Riddle Wrapped in a Mystery in a Cookie, from 2008 <laughs> by uh, Jennifer Lee, that I would heartily recommend. I didn't know this, and maybe it's just because my worldview is limited, but did you know that there's multiple flavors of fortune cookie? What? I did not know that. I'm on uh, secondfortune.com, which appears to be related to wonton food somehow, because it just has a bunch of fun facts about wonton food. <laughs> and it says, uh, uh, try our cookies, and there's four types. There's vanilla, which presumably is the normal, because it looks the most normal. They have citrus, they have chocolate, and they have tri-flavor. Whoa. What's in tri-flavor? All of the previous three. Yeah, that works. This, this is mind-blowing to me. Oh, and when you click on it, it says page not found. Excellent. <laughs> so maybe they had it at some point. <laughs> and I've only now realized what we're missing out on. That sounds fucking good. 
I would eat the heck out of that. I am on the Wonton Foods website, and you can bulk order citrus fortune cookies as well as the chocolate fortune cookies and the tricolored fortune cookies from their website. You know how last week we said that if we get uh, any funding for the show ever, our first thing that we do is going to be order cockles. <laughs> I think our second thing should be ordering tricolor fortune cookies. <laughs> We're going to turn into a food review podcast. We review empty calories in various forms. Three dudes eating junk. You have to order them by the mail, though, which is kind of unfortunate. I'm still on the Wikipedia page for fortune cookies, which is proving to be an absolute goldmine. <laughs> yes. There is a in popular culture section and in addition to the fact that they've become an iconic symbol in american culture there is a common joke in the united states involving fortune cookies that involves appending between the sheets or in bed to the end of the fortune usually creating a sexual innuendo or other bizarre messages e.g our greatest glory is not in never falling but in rising every time we fall in bed a gallows humor variation to this joke involves appending the phrase in jail to the end of the fortune. Oh my! I was familiar with the in bed joke, but not the in jail joke. No. And one last thing, which I don't want to delve too deep into because it's going to take us in a whole new direction. Yes. But there are three C also's at the end of the fortune cookie Wikipedia article. Okay. The first is the Golden Gate Fortune Cookie Company, which makes perfect sense. There is list of American foods, which also makes sense because the modern fortune cookie is an American food. And there's alluromancy, which is the use of flour for divination, <laughs> which is, I don't know if they know this, not what fortune cookies are. <laughs> I mean. So that's something. I'm, I'm looking at this, at this photo of James Wong at his, at his computer holding a fortune cookie and I could see him in like a, a wizard robe or perhaps some um, other other uh, divination garb, just like the fortune cookie wizard in his workshop. You know what? Maybe maybe he is actually doing flower divination as he writes these fortunes. Maybe that's how he gets the fortunes. Yeah, he had to study under the tutelage of Donald Lau to learn the flower magics. While James Wong is the most famous, he is not actually the only fortune cookie writer. Which would make sense, because there are several different companies that make fortune cookies. And in fact, I'm reading a Guardian article from 2015, Meet the Aspiring Writers Behind Your Fortune Cookie Messages, and the byline is, Want a writing job in this depressing gig economy? <laughs> <laughs> so it seems as though, with a few exceptions like Donald Lau and James Wong, a lot of fortune cookie writers are, quote, high school students and struggling writers. Interesting. I am looking at the Career Trend website where you can look at the trajectory of careers and the salary information for them. And they have one for fortune cookie writers. And the average fortune cookie writer makes about $38,000 a year. And the most well-paid fortune cookie writers can make over $100,000 a year. That's more than I'll be making. Maybe I should go into fortune writing. <laughs> the outlook for writers in fortune cookies is positive, with a 15% increase in job opportunities expected between 2008 and 2018. So it seems as though perhaps this page is slightly out of date? <laughs> perhaps it is. Do you just, like, write a bunch and mail them into a company? Again, according to the Guardian article, yes. Huh. The job lasted an entire year, and every few weeks, the person who was interviewed would send batches of new fortunes to the company for approval. The company skewed conservative and some of her more creative and offbeat ideas got shot down, 
one idea that did make it through became infamous. You will be hungry again in an hour. <laughs> she did this job a long time ago, but many of her compositions remain in print, and she still finds her own witticisms from time to time in cookies. Oh, that's fun. Like, I did that. Who whomst is this author? The Guardian article itself is by Olga Oxman, and the woman who was being interviewed was named Kay Marshall-Strom. You go, Kay Marshall-Strom. Before we go, and we may have more to say on the cookie itself, I do want to just jump backwards from the Fortune Cookie Wikipedia page, because occasionally when we Google uh, more generic things, it has the disambiguation. And we don't have to delve in all of these, but I find it interesting uh, occasionally to look at how many things, you know, have the same name as a generic thing or a very specific thing sometimes. So I just want to run down the list before we wrap up of other things that have the name Fortune Cookie, if you guys would oblige me. I will. Please. <clears throat> there is a 1966 film called The Fortune Cookie, which just looking at the top above the fold is an American black comedy film starring Jack Lemmon and Walter uh, Matthau. There is an album called Fortune Cookies, 2001, Alana Davis. There is Koi Soru Fortune Cookie, a 2013 song by Japanese group AKB48. There is an episode of the television series Mona the Vampire called The Fortune Cookie. There is a novel called Fortune Cookie by Bryce Courtenay, which evidently he's like a South African-Australian advertising director and, and novelist. But when I click the page, it just redirects him, me to his author page so I don't have time to get into it. <laughs> and then, to close it out, there's uh, two songs called Fortune Cookie, one by a pop-punk trio Shonen Knife on their album Overdrive from 2014, and Emma Bale wrote a song called Fortune Cookie. She's a Belgian singer, I guess. So that's it. That's the universe of other things, non-cookie fortune cookies. Yeah, all right. That is a lot of things. Again, I guess they, you know, proving once again that they are kind of a an iconic shape and concept in pop culture. Agreed. Yeah. One more thing from this Guardian article. Yes, please. Is that, quote, some people take fortune cookies very seriously. A childhood friend used to always eat the little slip of paper, assuring me that if she literally internalized it, her fortune would come to fruition. <laughs> would she only eat the fortunes that were good? Oh, no. You know, I don't know. Depending on how old Olga Oxman is, this was probably from back in the time when Donald Lau started and most of the fortunes were just sort of generic positive predictions rather than, you know, uh, aphorisms and sayings of, what did he call it? Yogi tea bag? <laughs> Yogi bear tea bag. A bit disparagingly. Listen, you gotta, you gotta play with the hand that Donald Lau, uh, Master Alluromancer, deals you. <laughs> <laughs> and in fact, you probably do, because the Wonton Foods Fortune database already has, as of 2015, 10,000 fortunes. Wow. Oh my god. So you're probably getting one of those 10,000 fortunes when you open a fortune cookie. And one of them is, wow, a secret message from your teeth. <laughs> <laughs> So, what have we learned today, my fellow dudes? Well, we've learned that Wonton Foods makes a lot of fortune cookies, and their fortune cookie writers are some of the best known. Donald Lau was one who started in the 80s, but he recently stepped down due to writer's block. 
and James Wong took over for him and is mostly optimistic about the job, even if he did totally cause that one couple to get divorced. <laughs> there are three men who claim to have invented the fortune cookie, but Makoto Hagawara of Golden Gate Park's Japanese Tea Garden in San Francisco is the one who actually introduced the modern fortune cookie to the United States of America. We're making that bold claim here. <laughs> Sorry, city of LA. Sorry, entire city of Los Angeles. There's multiple flavors of fortune cookie. A whole universe of, of possibilities that wasn't known to us. And there's also lots of other things that have the name fortune cookie because the image is just very iconic and we don't have time to get into them all. <laughs> and uh, flower divination is a thing. Yes. Also probably flower with plants. Oh, probably. I mean, I know onion divination is a thing, so probably flowers. We also don't have time to get into <laughs> onion divination. God, I wish we could. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you guys for learning. I'm Gus. I'm Mitchell. And I've been Evan. And this has been Three Dudes Wearing Plaid. Have a great day. Next time on Three Dudes Wearing Plaid. What's the outro, boys? I have it. I have it. You have, have it? it? You have it? Okay. Give me just a moment. Okay, okay, okay. Methods of divination. I'm going to read a method of divina divination. You tell me what you think it is. Oh, this is a good bit. I like it. All right. Armamancy. Bullets. You look at people's biceps and decide their future. Evan is closer. It's divination by one's own shoulders. <laughs> Deuteroscopy. You open to the to the book of Deuteronomy and you highlight random letters uh, online, of course, and then it tells you, it spells out the future. It's divination by second glance or double take. What? And it doesn't, it doesn't have a Wikipedia page, so... Oh well. Moving on. Margarita Mancy. Divination by uh very popular songs. You just ask Jimmy Buffett, <laughs> and Jimmy Buffett tells you the future. I wish it's divination by bouncing pearls. Who has enough <laughs> pearls on hand that they can do divination by bouncing them? Find out next week on Three Dudes Wearing Plaid. Mm.